in our minds as something high up on that list of Christian duties, but it is so very important and certainly instructed in the Word of God. We want to talk about the important duty that each of us has of maintaining unity within a local congregation. My guess is that this probably uh, has been, over time, a neglected subject and not made a priority, and perhaps that's the reason why we see so often congregations of God's people that struggle, that have strife. I don't know about you, but uh, I could name a few congregations even here in Middle Tennessee, and you would, if I said, oh, they just always have trouble. They, they, they have historically had strife in that congregation. Uh, you probably agree, if, if, based upon the reputation that certain of those congregations have developed. That's a sad thing. So let's talk this morning about maintaining unity in the local congregation, realizing that it's my job and your job. All of us must be working to that. And in order to do that, we want to use as our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, our new memory verse for the month of June, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We're going to especially be emphasizing this phrase in that memory verse, perfectly joined together. We've talked about this before, but I thought since this is our new memory verse for the month, that we pull, I'd pull out some old notes and we would go through this again, making sure we understand this important responsibility that we have that taught to us in that verse about maintaining unity in the local congregation. So our lesson this morning is perfectly joined together. That's what we'll title it. Thanks for being here on this beautiful Lord's Day. Uh, we, we have hit summertime. It's hot. It's humid. Uh, and yet again, we talk about what a nice, comfortable place we have to gather for worship. The air conditioners are working, and we're glad for that. And we're glad that we have such ease, comfort, convenience to worship, freedom to worship. Uh, we're not going to be interfered with. Nobody. There's no serious worry that uh, some armed men will burst through the back door and make us stop doing what we're doing. We're not afraid of that. That's a wonderful thing, because it's not that way every place in the world. We certainly are blessed, and we're glad that you have chosen to be a part of this this morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks to our visitors for being with us. Come again whenever you can. We certainly are encouraged by the presence of each and every one. Perfectly joined together. Let's talk about this responsibility to maintain unity in the local congregation. Let's start out with just some general observations. The first thing that I would like to point out is that this verse, our new memory verse for the month, was addressed to a local congregation of people, the church at Corinth. You know, very often when we use 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, we talk about the general notion of division in the religious world. And I do think it has application there. You know, we, if we were to look right here in our immediate community this morning, we would find people teaching all kinds of different things. We would find people practicing all kinds of different things. And we would point to this verse, among others, there are other verses in the, in, the, in the New Testament as well, but we would point to this verse and say, God is not pleased with division. God does not want us to be divided. And so for everybody who says, well, you do your thing and I'll do mine, and I'm a member of this denomination and he's a member of that denomination, and you're a member of a different denomination, and everybody acts like that's just all okay, is not all okay. And the New Testament certainly teaches that 
God wants all believers to be united. This would be one verse that would be usable in that, in that sense. But understand that in the context of this statement, Paul was talking to Christians in a local congregation. And so this especially has application in that way. Furthermore, we would point out that it surely shows us that division is contrary to the will of God. Uh, you know, just the statement should make it so obvious to us. So you shouldn't have to look very far in order to understand that God does not want division. You know, you husbands, when you come home at night, uh, you can almost tell from the, from the demeanor of your wife whether everything's okay or not. She may be ill. She may be mad at you. And you may not know yet what it, what it was that made her mad, but you're pretty sure she's mad. You pick up on that in a hurry, and then, then you have to figure out what it is and what you need to do to make it right. Well, that's the way it is here. We may not understand all that's involved and why God hates division, but it's clear from the statement that He does, and we need to understand that that's so. Division is contrary to the will of God. In John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying just before He was arrested, He said in John 17, verse 20, beginning, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which I believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. To everybody who thinks division is okay, and it doesn't matter, and you can do whatever you want, and you can believe one thing, and I'll believe something different, they need to spend some time thinking about this final prayer of Jesus. Uh, it was very much on his mind. Even just before he was to face his crucifixion, it was very much on his mind that all believers would be united. In Proverbs chapter 6, beginning verse 16, we read that list of things that the Lord hates. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I'm convinced that some Christians don't take that very seriously. And I have through the years, and I'm sure you have known through the years, some people who almost delighted in causing discord among brethren, and they don't seem to understand that that's something that the Lord hates. The Lord hates the sowing of discord among brethren. So certainly, division is contrary to the will of God. Another general observation that we would make from this text, our new memory verse, is that this is not teaching unity in diversity. That's a, an expression that was coined a number of years ago to suggest the idea, very popular in the religious world, is that we would be united. We, we are diverse. We don't all believe or do the same things, but we're united even though we are diverse in our beliefs and practices. It's a unity in diversity. Well, uh, that's not taught in the Bible, and actually I think you'd have to agree that it doesn't even make common sense in most realms. Let's say that you go home from services this morning, and when you get there, there's a bulldozer and a backhoe working on your property. I mean, way over on your property. And you haven't authorized anything like that, and so you go out and ask the operator, what's, what's going on? They say, well, we're building a house right here. Building a house? This is my property. Well, this man over here told us to build the house right here. 
So you go over to that man and say, what are you doing here? He's your, he's the property owner next door to you. But he's building his house way over on your side of the property line. And you say, what's going on here, man? He said, well, I'm building a house. Yeah, but it's on my property. No, well, I don't really agree that that is your property. We'll just, I guess, have to agree to disagree about that. And he goes on to build his house. Are you going to allow that? No, we are not going to agree to disagree. We're going to establish where that property line is and where all the necessary setbacks are. We're going to have to come to an agreement. We can't go on until there is agreement. That's how it is in everything that we do. Yet, for some reason, people think that we can have some sort of unity in diversity when it comes to religion. It's not so. The people who teach that are doing what Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 6, verse 13, beginning when he said, From the prophet even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. This unity and diversity thing is very much that notion of declaring peace when there is no peace. Well, what are we going to do then? What are some of the important areas where unity is essential? Well, the text tells us where that unity is necessary. It's necessary in the things that we teach. Go to the verse now. Let's look at the verse specifically. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Notice, Paul urged them to all be speaking the same thing. Therefore, in regards to the things that they were teaching, he wanted them to be in unity. He didn't want one to teach one thing, another to teach something different. Um, if that's the case, if I'm out here teaching one thing, but you're teaching something very contrary to that, regardless of what we claim, we are not united. Uh, when we are united, we will all teach the same thing, we will all be believing the same things. Notice, what we teach represents what we believe. And our memory verse tells us that we are supposed to be believing the same things. He talks about being of the same mind. We need to be of the same mind. Uh, this would certainly imply diligence in study, effort to understand the Word of God, uh, we cannot, you know, whenever an issue comes up, we cannot just say, well, uh, I'm not interested in talking about that. I'm tired of talking about that. I'm not, I'm not interested in studying on that. I, I don't want to work to a resolution of that. Uh, we have to work toward being of the same mind. Teaching the same things and believing the same things are a part of this unity that the Lord wants us to have. Both of those represent some challenges, I think, what we teach, what we believe. But I think the real challenge, even more so, is how we apply the truth in our daily living. Back to our text, notice, teach, speak the same thing, be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Uh, that's even harder now. Judgments are made based upon the things that we teach and believe. And we're supposed to even work toward having the same judgments. How do we do that? How, how do we do that? Well, I think that requires our willingness to submit to one another. Uh, now, this is not talking about false doctrines, contrary, things contrary to the Word of God. That's not, we're not talking about that. We already, we already made that clear. But when it comes to making judgments of application of the Scripture 
areas where we're allowed to make judgments. We're not allowed to make judgments about all things, but in areas where judgments are allowed, we should strive to give the same judgment. Well, how do you get there? Well, you do that by being willing to submit to one another. You have to develop the mindset that I'm not important, my opinion is not all that important, I, I can surrender my opinion to your opinion in order to maintain unity. It was very much like a husband and wife relationship. Uh, the marriage relationship is a, a give and take proposition. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes I get my way, my, my opinion is pursued, but sometimes my wife's opinion has to be allowed. And so we work together to maintain peace and unity in the marriage relationship. And this very much needs to be that way when it comes to unity within a local congregation. Because as we said, that's what this text is talking about. Too many times, though, we hear Christians who get upset, get resentful if their ideas are not followed, uh, if the class arrangement is not to their liking, if the song books are not the ones they prefer, uh, if, if something else in regards to the judgment of matters in the local congregation isn't to their liking, they're going to be upset. Well, those who do that are not making unity a priority, as this verse tells us it must be. So, we're to be united in the local congregation in what we teach, what we believe, and how we apply those things in practical, everyday matters. Well, you may have wondered, I don't know, we've kind of got it covered up now, but you may have wondered, why was there a picture of a fishing net in the background of that chart? Let me explain that to you for a minute when we talk about how we should approach matters when our unity is threatened. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, again, now, perfectly joined together is that phrase that we're concentrating on. But that expression when it talks about joined together, perfectly joined together, that comes from a Greek word, katartizo, which means to repair or adjust, to fit, to frame, to mend, to restore. Okay? Now keep that in mind. So it suggests that if there's something wrong, we fix it. Right? We, we mend it. We restore it. Interestingly, that same word is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, when it says... Going on from thence, Jesus saw two other brother, or two brother, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. The phrase there, mending their nets, uses this same Greek word. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. We're far removed from that kind of a lifestyle, but imagine these fishermen. Their livelihood was in casting nets, drawing them in, catching fish in that fashion. Every day when you came in from your fishing expedition, what you had to do is you had to clean and wash those nets. And you looked for any sign of a tear within the net. And you immediately mended that tear in the net because if you didn't, then the next day when you go out there, that tear gets bigger. And in very short order, that net becomes almost useless to you because you cast it out and all of the fish that are thus entrapped just shoot out through the hole where that where that net is torn, you if you're a if you're a fisherman and your livelihood depends upon catching fish and catching as many as you can, then when your net has any small tear in it, even the slightest sign of a tear, you immediately repair that. It's interesting to me that the same Greek word is used here in regards to mending the nets 
of the, of the sons of Zebedee, as in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, when we talk about being perfectly joined together. All right, now take that concept, if you will. What would a fisherman do with his net if there was a problem in the net? What should we do if there's a problem of unity within the local congregation? Well, first of all, of course, obviously you don't ignore it. A fisherman wouldn't ignore that sign of wear or tear on his net. He'd fix it. He wouldn't ignore it. It's easier to fix when it's small than when it's large. He wouldn't ignore it. He'd get right on it. In Matthew chapter, or excuse me, in, uh, in Galatians um, chapter 2, verse 11, we see Paul doing that in his relationship with the apostle Peter. We've talked about this text many times, Galatians 2, verse 11. When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. I want to ask you something about what Paul did there on that familiar episode. Don't you agree that it would have been much easier for Paul to just say, I'm not going to say anything about it, I'm just going to let it pass. Uh, uh, Wouldn't it have been easier for Paul to sort of sweep that under the rug and act as though there was nothing wrong? I'm sure it would have been easier. But instead of that, he immediately addressed it. He would not ignore what was obviously a threat to the unity of the church in that place, and he withstood Peter, prominent Peter. He withstood Peter to the face because he wouldn't let that pass. And so from that, I think our first point is don't ignore it. Just like you wouldn't ignore a tear in your fishing net, don't ignore a potential threat to the unity of a local congregation. Don't postpone dealing with it. Uh, again, the fisherman wouldn't put that off. He'd say, you know, I don't have time to fix that now. I'm going out tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Maybe about this time next week, I'll get around to try and fix that fishing net. Well, by this time next week, the tear in that net might be so bad that the net can't be fixed. It's beyond repair. You wouldn't do that if your livelihood depended upon that fishing net. You would not postpone dealing with it. I don't think we should postpone it either. How, how serious are issues between brethren? Well, Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. Then come and offer thy gift. Jesus suggested that contention between brethren can even render our worship unpleasing to God. Fix it. Then come and worship, basically, is what Jesus was saying. And so certainly, we should not postpone dealing with potential threats to the unity of the local congregation. And then, just to to emphasize that, we would say, pay special attention to every potential problem. Uh, You know, I I don't think we should ever sort of categorize things. Well, that's not important. That's not a big deal. I'll let that pass. Any threat, any potential threat to the unity of the congregation should be dealt with. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29, the apostle Paul spoke of how he had worked among the Christians in Ephesus. He said, I know this, that after my departing, this is Acts 20, beginning verse 29, after my departing, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. How important were these kind of potential problems to Paul? He says, by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. 
Paul could shed tears over the threat to that local congregation. And we ought to be that concerned as well, paying specific attention to every potential problem. Finally, let's make this point. God will bless us when we do this. That is, when we make unity within the local congregation a priority high on our list, God will bless us when we do this. If we went back to John 17 again, just for an instant, and that's where Jesus prayed that prayer, you remember, before he was to be arrested and crucified. He said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. So there's that unity he wanted us to strive for. But notice what the result would be. If Christians could be united, the world then would come to believe that thou hast sent me. You know, one of the biggest detriments to the progress of the gospel is division. The divided religious world of our day hinders the furtherance of the gospel, that's for sure. We could talk about it in that broad sense, but we could talk about it congregationally too. Congregations become ineffective when there is division. We need to be united so that we can present a very powerful influence of spreading the gospel even within our own community. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Now remember, this is the second letter that he sent. In the first letter, he condemned them because of the divisions that existed there. And he urged them to be united. Apparently, what he said uh, had had some result as we read 2 Corinthians. But as he ends the 2 Corinthians letter, he says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And notice, be, be of one mind. Live in peace. What will happen? And the God of love and peace shall be with you. If we work to make unity a priority, and if each one of us sees this as an important responsibility, then God has promised to bless us as a result of that. And so again, this is our new memory verse for June, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I think it's a familiar verse. Some of you may already have it memorized, but it is an important one. And it applies especially to us who are Christians in a local congregation. As I said earlier, it it can be applicable to religious division in general, but in context, it was a statement made to a local congregation urging them to be truly united in their work together. And that's that's the message to us, and that's what we need to be working on. Make sure we maintain unity in this local church. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. This is not the kind of lesson that's taught the plan of salvation or offered motivation to obey that gospel plan of salvation, but we wouldn't want to end without providing that opportunity. If there's anyone in our assembly this morning that desires to obey the gospel plan, we would make ourselves available to assist you in that. We would rejoice to help and, uh, and witness your obedience to the gospel. If you are thinking of that, but you still have some questions in mind, please let us know. We'd be glad to sit down with you immediately and study to try and answer any questions that you have from the Word so that you can make an informed decision to be right with God. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away and you've not been faithful to Him, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.